Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 170 of the Social Liability Podcast, the podcast where we discuss those folks in our lives that violate the social contracts that we all agree to live by. I am your host, The Raz, with my co-host, The Buck, bringing you new and interesting stories from the far reaches of the internet. Oh, it's been a week, Buck. It's been a freaking week. And if you listen to last week's podcast, you know I was uh, I, I was pretty sick. I was getting over COVID. Uh, then I had a cold. Still have it a little bit. Um, but in the process of my whole COVID adventures, adventures <laughs> I pulled a muscle in my ribs, and I hurt so bad right now. <laughs> I've got a tens unit around the ring, just trying to, to numb the pain right now. So if I dive off of this, you're gonna have to take over because I, if I start coughing, I am like seeing white. It's horrible. Duly noted. Duly noted. I'm also having a week. Um, caregiver Katie. Uh, has been uh, forced into transitioning to third shift uh, due to operational changes at her job. Otherwise known as they, and otherwise known as they freaking sent everything to India. For, well, I mean, like, I'm not going to make any disparaging remarks about anything or whatever, whatever. The fact of the matter is that caregiver Katie is now going to be doing a schedule of 11 p.m. till 7.30 a.m., and then she'll be doing 10 p.m. till 6.30 a.m. For, for, the, for the short-term future. And what that means for, for us is that when she gave me this earth-shattering news for her, I looked at her and I went, well, great, I guess we're going to be on third shift. And she just looked at me kind of like weird. And I was like, I'm letting you know right fucking now, I'll be a shit-covered dick if I'm going to be on a different sleep schedule than my wife. You can just fuck and forget that. I was like, nope, we are going to third shift. So instead of getting my cheery stoned disposition at the very beginning of the day, uh, here we are at the very end of my day. For I've been awake. I woke up at the uh, hour of 7.30 p.m. So this is going to be a nice little switch, you know. I'm I'm interested in seeing how this goes. But then there's also just times where I'll be like, I'm driving to uh, the store. I'll call Buck, see what he's up to. No, yeah, can't do that no more. <laughs> yeah, that 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 kind of that kind of went out the wayside. But either way, you know, I I gotta. I mean, like, ugh. either way, it's going to be a really interesting existence for me because. Right now, I'm doing well because caregiver Katie and I are readjusting to our sleep schedule. She's got some time off, and we're just fucking around and watching movies and stuff and staying awake all night. But I have to come to terms with the reality that here, very quickly, caregiver Katie's going to be at work. And she's going to be, you know, in the next room, granted, but she's going to be talking to customers and having interactions with people. And I'm going to be sitting out here alone. All right, Buck, let's get into our stories. Uh, I, I do love when we get we can come back to a story that we've covered in the past. And this one happened last fall, I believe. Remember the story like of that. the Bassmasters tournament where the guys showed up with their fish full of lead weights? Yes, and other dead fish. Like, they shoved them full of shit to win. Yes, they did. Well, this is being reported by Yahoo Sports. 
<laughs> uh, weights in fish. Fishermen plead guilty to felony cheating charge. <laughs> they got a freaking felony out of it. <clears throat> Dude, I don't think I've ever seen felony cheating charge like ever in script. It's a, I, this it's, is this. It's a felonious fish. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was good, man. That was good. Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's I'd, good I'd give you a rim shot if I had a button on that. All right. Well, the long net of the law. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Here we go. It's going to be one of these stories. The long Hell net yeah. of the law has bagged two fishermen who put weights in fish in an attempt to win a tournament back in September of 2022. The men were caught in the act and became worldwide news when the tournament's organizer called them out for the instant classic line, We got weights in fish. <laughs> Jacob Runyon, 43, and Chase Kaminsky, 36, have pled guilty to charges of cheating and unlawful ownership of wild animals, according to the county prosecutor, Michael O'Malley. This plea is the first step in teaching those crooks two basic life lessons. Thou shalt not steal, and crime does not pay. <laughs> uh, Runyon and Kaminsky were competing in the Lake Erie Walleye uh, Trail Tournament in Cleveland, with the first prize of $28,760 at stake for the anglers who brought in the five largest fish. The two fishermen were aroused suspicion when the Lake Erie tournament, because of their long run of striking success in various fishing tournaments, combined with the fact they did not follow the custom of donating their catch to the local food banks. So when they, when they brought in some weighty fish, the tournament was already on high alert. As the fish were being weighed, the tournament organizers recognized that the fish seemed to weigh more than expected and sliced them open. Two lead weights, along with several walleye fillets, were found in the fish. The two fishermen were instructed to leave the tournament as the other anglers grew uneasy. In other words, they were going to whoop their ass. <laughs> the Cleveland Metro Parks Police Department responded to the scene and the Ohio Department of Natural Resources investigated the case. Runyon and Kaminsky pled guilty to one count of cheating, a felony, and one count of unlawful ownership of wild animals, a misdemeanor. They also forfeited the boat that they've been using in the competition. Jesus Christ. Uh, they will be sentenced on May 11th. <laughs> they even took their fucking boat. <laughs> man. I'm telling you what, man. These... These fucking people, man. These, these bass people, man. They don't, they don't fucking take shit. Like they don't piss off the rednecks, man. <laughs> you know what? I mean, I was just thinking, like, there's always this trope every once in a while. Always this trope every once in a while. Yeah, let's let's cut that and record it. But no, there's a trope uh, in movies and shit like that about fishermen being like lazy, fucking falling in the water, aloof, you know, stupid guys. I'm telling you what, man. I'm telling you what. I don't believe I've ever heard a story end well for somebody who was fucking around with a fisherman. Especially those dudes who go out on boats. Like, those dudes are a different breed of cat to begin with. All right? And then you're going to go around, like, they go to fisticuffs over dumb shit, those fisher folk. You know? And you're going to go around cheating somebody out of almost 30 grand? Yeah. Somebody was waiting behind a dumpster for those motherfuckers. <laughs> if they weren't, they, they will be. Like, what the shit? I just, it just wows me the lengths that people will go. And 
I guess in this case, like there was a pretty hefty purse on it. Like I could see somebody be, being like greedy and driven by that. But people do cheat over just dumb shit. And I just don't get it. You know, I mean, what what about you, man? Like what what's your what's your uh, final take on this uh, on this one? Because we definitely covered it a lot and it seems like it's coming to a head. Don't fuck with rednecks in mass. One on one, you can yeah. you, you can poke the bear. But when when there's a bunch of them together, they get a like a real mob mentality, <laughs> and that's a good oh. way. To, that's a good way to get yourself filleted, okay? <laughs> yeah. and, and if you're gonna cheat, you can't cheat every time. You can't get greedy about it. <laughs> Other people are gonna catch on. You know what? I think we I think we said that one of the first two times that we covered this shit show. You know, pigs get fat, but hogs get slaughtered. You know. Like, and that's, and that's the thing, man. Well, they even said it in this article. They were like, oh, well, you know, they started getting fishy, these fishy of these two other buggers. Well, our next story is actually coming from the Independent, which is a UK paper, but it's an American story. It's a Florida story of all things. Now, I want to preface this by saying I don't give a rat's ass what your politics are. I really don't. Uh, I don't care if you're a Democrat. I don't care if you're a Republican. I, I don't care if you're... Uh, waiting for the flying spaghetti monster. I don't care. I do care, however, and I do relish the fact any time that anybody screws the government, because I hate the government. I really do. I just It's just a fact of reality. I hate government. I've worked for government for years, but I don't like them. <laughs> well, I mean, like, maybe that's where your, you know, outward hatred of government comes from, is because you worked for them. Very true. But I love to see this. (laughs) The Independent reports that Disney's last-minute deal to strip power from DeSantis-appointed board looks to King Charles. Are you familiar with with, with what Governor Ron DeSantis is doing down in Florida with Disney World? Yes. Yes, I am. So as a recap, recap, uh, he came out with that don't say gay bill. Uh, Disney openly said, you're an idiot. And he says, you know what? I'm going to screw with you then. I mean, he's not even fucking being like coy about it. He's doing this as, as payback. Where he's saying that, you know, you, you had the Reedy, uh, Reedy Creek Conservation Area, whatever, the, the, the land that Disney sits on, and allowed them to govern it themselves. That was part of the deal they made with the state when they built Disney World. And he's took it away. But Disney apparently has the last laugh, which I just love. I hate Disney, but... I'm glad that DeSantis is getting screwed for being a shitty politician. This is uh, this is a real the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of situation. It really is. Disney World may have blocked a board appointed by Ron DeSantis for making major changes to its sprawling Florida parks thanks to a last-minute clause invoking King Charles III. Before a governing board was filled with hand-picked DeSantis loyalists, and previous board members approved an 11th hour change that gives Disney final say 21 years after the death of the last survivor of the descendants of King Charles III, King of England, living as of the date of this declaration. This clause follows an all-out political attack on the entertainment giant by the Florida governor following the company's public opposition to what opponents have called the Don't Say Gay Law, which LBGT plus advocates warn will have discriminatory and chilling effects on state schools. Following the weeks of pressure from advocates and Disney employees urging company leadership to publicly lobby against it, the CEO Bob 
Chapek uh, announced last year that the company would oppose the bill and suspend its political donations after giving tens of thousands to GOP officials. After Disney's public objection, Governor Ron DeSantis and members of his uh, administration lashed out at the company, igniting a feud that escalated to Republican threats to punish Disney's operations in the state and ultimately uh, resulted in his administration taking control of them. Last month, the governor signed a bill amounts to a state takeover of the Reedy Creek Improvement District, now the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District, made up of conservation activists and DeSantis loyalists. The so-called Royal Clause has been used to circumvent rules against contracts this, <laughs> that last in perpetuity. Any changes will be subject to Disney's prior review and comment to ensure consistency with the overall design and theming of the company's park, according to the documents first reported by the Orlando Sentinel. The board loses, for practical purposes, the majority of its ability to do anything beyond maintain the roads and maintain basic infrastructure, according to the DeSantis-appointed board member, Ron Perry, a right-wing Christian pastor with a history of anti-LGBT plus remarks. The Reedy Creek Improvement District was first created in 1967 to give Disney control of the land use and zoning rules and operate its own services including water, sanitation, emergency services, and infrastructure maintenance. With Disney as its primary landowner of the district, the company is largely responsible for all the costs and the municipal services that otherwise would fall under the jurisdiction of a county and local governments, including the taxpayers who live within them, an arrangement that essentially eases the burden from neighboring counties and places it on one of the largest companies in the world. In effect, Disney taxes itself to the foot, to foot the district's bill for all of its municipal needs. All agreements signed between Disney and the district were appropriate and discussed and approved in open and noticed public forums in compliance with Florida's government in sunshine law, according to a statement from Disney. <laughs> oh, you're going to take over the board? Well, as our last official act, we say, fuck you. <laughs> That's what happened. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, does that... Now, I wonder, does that mean that Disney's going to say, fine, fuck you, you can pay for everything now, too? Pretty much. All the yeah. counties that like surround that area... We'll have to foot the bill for all the the roads and everything. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like Disney's gonna be Disney's looking at him being like that thing that you thought you were gonna do to fuck us. No 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 no. This is like we're throwing the Uno reverse card on you. Right. It's <laughs> like what you said and there's nothing that they can do about it. You know? Like, Florida, you fucked up. Florida, you fucked up. And it was an extremely expensive, expensive and and very damaging to a lot of your citizens kind of error. Like, yes, DeSantis, you did not do yourself a lot of fucking favors. Because there are going to be people in the surrounding counties of, these, uh, of, of the Reedy Creek area that Disney owns that used to have, you know... Things like nice roads and, you know, great utilities and all this other shit. And now they're going to have a lot higher taxes. Like, and that's, and that's your fault, dumb shit. Yep. That, <laughs> see, I just want, I, I don't, I, I don't, to, per I, I want to put a big fucking banner on the top of this hill, right? This, this top of this very hill, this is where Ron DeSantis died. 
Like, because this is the hill you died on, sir. You're you dumb shit. See, but whatever. I, I am. I don't proclaim myself to be the man's man out there hunting bear and and fishing every weekend. But you know, I did. I've worked in government most of my life, and I do. And people have often, you know, said that Ron Swanson is my spirit animal because I work in government and I despise the government. <laughs> Yeah. So it's just because I've seen the shady shit government does. It really is. I mean, I ought to write a fucking book at this point, just exposing some of these communities I've worked in. And I, I do have a, an excellent exit strategy for the town I'm currently in once the decision and everything falls into place to possibly get out of here. Uh, I, I, I might even film it for the YouTube channel. We'll see. Okay. I have an exit strategy. <laughs> But we'll we'll see what happens. But no, I, I just love that I love the fact that he he decides he's gonna uh punish a corporation for not supporting him and they're just like, screw you, asshole. <laughs> yeah. I mean like, do you know how much Disney saves in this deal? Oh yeah. Probably. I mean like well, I mean, think of how much money it costs them to maintain all that infrastructure around there. And now it's just like, oh, well, th- thank you so much, Governor. <laughs> like, yeah, you know what? I think I will let you overtake this fucking uh, burden that we have maintaining all this shit. That's a great idea. Come right on in here and do that. <laughs> All right, our next story. We're going to stay in Florida, Buck. This comes from ClickOrlando.com. $10,000 offered for info on Florida man who left manslaughter trial for lunch and didn't return. <laughs> You're up for manslaughter. I guess he was out on bail. I mean, I guess I... Well, well, let's read the story and find out. The Lake County Sheriff's Office announced a $10,000 reward offered for information leading to the arrest of Zachary Waldo, the man who left his DUI manslaughter trial for lunch and never returned. Stop, stop, stop. So we're now now looking for Waldo. Where's Waldo? Where's Waldo? That's that's where this has gone? Okay, let's keep going. Florida is... Yeah, put $10,000 reward out for Where's Waldo? Waldo was on trial in connection with a DUI crash on Christmas Eve of 2019 that killed Christopher Smith, Jessica Smith, and their 13-year-old daughter. God damn it, this ain't funny anymore. Uh, Waldo, who was out on bond, left his trial on March 14th and has not been seen since. According to police, Waldo fled from law enforcement in the past and has a history of committing battery against law enforcement. Anyone who comes in contact with Waldo is advised to proceed with caution. The reward, $5,000 from the Central Florida Crime Line and $5,000 from the Florida uh, Sheriff's Association Criminal Apprehension Assistance Program, damn, it's a mouthful, was announced on Monday. In order to be eligible for the reward, callers must provide information through Crime Line at 1-800-423-TIPS, and they can remain completely anonymous. Ask for, I mean, also on Monday, the Sheriff's Office said that Waldo's girlfriend, 32-year-old uh, Melanissa... Shawantel Jones okay was taken into custody by U.S. Marshals on a Lake County warrant. Deputies said that Jones was taken into custody during a traffic stop on Vine Street in Leesburg and faces charges for principal to failure to appear accessory after the fact DUI manslaughter false information to law enforcement 
in felony investigation and accessory to the fact DUI was serious bodily injury. I'd like to know what she was involved in. Uh, the Lake County Sheriff's Office posted on social media a statement that read, in part, the public is being asked to provide information to his whereabouts so that Waldo can be brought to justice and his family and the family of his victims can hopefully begin to get some sense of closure. It started out so funny and then it got dark. Come on. You know what? That's 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 how playing Where's Waldo is for me in real life. I'm colorblind. <laughs> it's just a dreary hunt for nothing. Dreary hunt for nothing. I should have just read the first half first of the story. Off. We're playing Where's Waldo in Florida. You know what? I mean, it is kind of apropos for Florida to have a Where's Waldo with a version like this. You know, where'd the most, where's the most <laughs> fucked up Waldo in the where? world come from? Well, that's just how it happens. It's Florida. Where's Waldo, Florida edition? Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Waldo gone wild. <sighs> oh well, we better we better move on, man. Because if not, I'm going to start, or I'm going to continue making almost really tasteless jokes about this, and I can't help it. Yeah. Well, here's one that I actually uh, sent in. <laughs> I completely. I, I think I've made it very clear this episode that I'm not a fan of government. I'm also not a. I, I, over, over, overly fond of overreaching police departments, and I think I found one. Okay, this, let's hear it. This is being reported by Sackby.com. Nine-year-old California girl wanted to save her goat from slaughter. Then came the search warrant. A 15-page search warrant and affidavit were very specific about the target Shasta County Sheriff's uh, officials were after. Quote, the location is a single-family residence in a rural residential area. Uh, the warrant was signed at 6.33 p.m. on July 8th by Shasta County Superior Court Judge Monique McKee and read, the property has a tan-colored residence with a brown composite-style roof. The document was accompanied by a ground-level and aerial photos of the property, along with a street address in Napa, and the notation of the subject of the search warrant had stolen or embezzled. Officials, I'm sorry, officers were permitted to utilize breaching equipment to force open doorways, entry doors, exit doors, and locked containers in pursuit of their target. The warrant said, then listed areas that might be searched. The residence, including all rooms, attics, basements, and other parts therein, the surrounding grounds and any garages, sheds, storage rooms, and outbuildings of any kind large enough to accommodate a small goat. Thus began the legal saga of Cedar the Goat, a seven-month-old uh, Boreer goat with chocolate markings framing its face, who is now the subject of a federal civil rights lawsuit naming Shasta, Shasta Sheriff's officials, Shasta County, the Shasta District Fair, and other defendants who were accused of involvement in the, in the apparent slaughter of Cedar from a community barbecue. The details of Cedar's short life were spelled out in the lawsuit, originally filed in August and amended in March, as well as court documents, emails, and other records obtained by the Sacramento Bee through California Public Records Act requests. The records show in length in which officials went to retrieve the goat, turning to law enforcement rather than using a civil action to decide the matter. 
the attorneys who co-founded the nonprofit uh, Advancing Law for Animals law firm, they are representing Jessica Long, whose daughter raised Cedar. Looking at the case, what we, are, what we see in the county and fair officials improperly use their authority and connections to transform a purely civil dispute into a sham criminal matter. Cedar has been purchased in April of 2022 by Long for her nine-year-old daughter, who fed and cared for the goat every day, eventually bonding with the animal. She loved him as a family pet. The family entered Cedar into the Shasta District Court's I'm sorry, Dash District Fairs. <laughs> you can see why I'd be mistaken. Junior Livestock Auction on June 24th of 2022. The suit says an event in which animals enter for auction are part of a terminal sale in which they are sold off to be used as meat. No exceptions, a fair brochure says. But before bidding began, the, fam the Long family changed their minds and tried to back out before Cedar was auctioned off, something fair officials said was not allowed. Pretty sure it is. Fair officials declined comment when the lawsuit was filed and did not respond to a request for comment on Friday. Officials with the California Department of Food and Agriculture, which oversee the county fair and exposition districts, also declined comment, citing pending litigation. The goat was sold on January, I'm sorry, June 25th to a representative of State Senator Brian Dahl for $902, with $63.14 going to the fair and $838.46 meant to go to Cedar's owner, who by then was sobbing in the goat's pen, calling for her mother and telling her she did not want her pet goat to be slaughtered. That night, the last day of the fair, Long's daughter said, was saying goodbye to Cedar, Long decided to act. It was heartbreaking, Long wrote in the June 27th email to the Shasta District Fair. The barn was mostly empty, and up at the last minute, I decided to break the rules and take the goat that night and deal with the consequences later. I knew when I took it, it was my next steps were going to make, make it right with the buyer and the fairgrounds. Long wrote that she had been communicated with Dahi's office, which did not object to the goat being saved from slaughter. I will pay you back for the goat and any other expenses. I would like uh, to ask for your support in finding a solution. But the solution offered by the fair and the California Department of Food and Agriculture was simply for Long to return Cedar. As a mother, I am not unsympathetic regarding your daughter and her love for her animal. This is said the Shasta District Fair Chief Executive Officer, Melanie Silva, emailed Long the next day. Having said that, please understand the fair industry is set up to teach youth responsibility and for future generations of ranchers and farmers to learn the process and efforts it takes to raise quality meat. Making an exception for you will only teach other youth that they will have the ability, uh, they don't, do not have to abide by the rules that are set up for all participants. Silva added that the CDFA had informed her that for the good of all, we have to stick to the state rules. Unfortunately, this is out of our hands, she wrote. You will need to bring the goat back to the Sastra District Fair immediately. Silva sent another email the next day to the CDFA official informing her that the organizer of the community barbecue had contacted her lawyer regarding the theft of the goat donated to the barbecue. By then, the livestock manager at the Shasta District Fair had begun texting Long on her cell phone, warning of serious consequences if she did not turn over Cedar, according to copies of text provided by Long's attorney. We need to make arrangements to get the goat back today, a June 28th text said from B.J. McFarlane. If not, law enforcement is going to be brought into this. Really? <laughs> the fair was instru has instructed me to contact you to get the goat to the fairgrounds by 10 a.m. Wednesday, June 29th. If it does not happen, they will be forced to contact authorities. 
McFarland did not respond to a request for comment, but the lawsuit says he also uh, had called Long the day after the goat was taken and threatened to have charges with a felony count of grand theft if she did not return Cedar. The livestock manager has been in contact with me and threatened to have me arrested on a felony for stealing livestock unless I return the goat for slaughter immediately. Wow. Uh, Silva also raised the notion of contacting law enforcement written in the June 29th email to the CDFA. Uh, Should we involve CHP next? (laughs) Written records released by the CDFA to the B do not reflect how law enforcement came involved, but two weeks after the goat was taken, uh, Shasta's sheriff's detective Jeremy Ashby filed a search warrant affidavit seeking permission to seize it. The search warrant targeted bleeding, bleeding, Bleeding Hearts Farm and Sanctuary, a nonprofit rescue group in Napa, and included a detailed description of the property and the goat. By then, Shasta County Sheriff's Lieutenant Fernandez and Detective Jacob Duncan uh, were already on their way to the sanctuary, having stopped in Arbuckle to a, at a truck stop to purchase $95.64 in gas at 6 p.m. This is important, according to the records released by the B. Uh, the gas purchase was $32.50 more than the fair district actually would have received as its share of the auction proceeds for Cedar. Money, the lawsuit says, long offered to repay to the fair. Uh, public records do not describe what happened once they arrived at Bleeding Hearts, and the operators of the sanctuary did not respond to a request for comment, but the lawsuit filed by Long said the goat was never at Bleeding Hearts. Uh, officials have believe Cedar was there because an Instagram post on the Bleeding Hearts account urged people to call or email the Shasta District Fair to pardon the goat from slaughter. He is due to be killed tomorrow, the post read. The family is willing to do anything to keep him safe for their daughter. The fair's CEO, Silva, made an apparent reference to that post in her email to Long demanding the return of the goat, writing that this is an era of social media has been a negative experience for the fairgrounds, and this has been all over Facebook and Instagram, not the best way to teach the youth the value of responsibility. Instead of bleeding hearts, Cedar was kept at an unnamed Samoa County farm Long had emailed seeking help. It was a farm to donate my daughter's goat to where he could live uh, clear land for fire prevention. That's cool. Uh, Long wrote in her email, the farmer has contacted with the Cal Cal Fire Elementary Schools and other important agencies. This resonated strongly with us as a beautiful solution since we moved her shortly before the car fire and almost lost our home to it. The lawsuit says that Fernandez and Duncan discovered the goat was not at Bleeding Hearts. They made their way to the Samoa County uh, farm to take Cedar into custody, even though they had no warrant to search and seize Cedar at that farm. The uh, sheriff's office declined to comment on the lawsuit, but in a court filing Thursday, denied most of the claims and said no warrant was needed at the farm. Defendants assert that no warrant was necessary to retrieve Cedar at the farm as they had consent from the property owner to retrieve the goat. Two deputies and Cedar then drove more than 200 miles back to Shasta County, stopping in Arbuckle for another $94.95 in gas. From there, the goat was delivered to an unnamed individual at the fair for slaughter slash destruction, even though a warrant required them to hold the goat for a court hearing to determine its lawful owner. What precisely happened to Cedar and whether he ended up on the plates of community barbecue remains unclear. At this time, we don't have a specific information. We cannot speculate. While it's been uh, confirmed that a factual matter, we believe the goat Cedar has been killed. 
Despite that, Cedar's memories live on in the, in the form of an online petition to let the Shasta Fair Association and Shasta County Sheriff's deputies reportedly involved in the case know that you denounced the cruel slaughter of Cedar and you'd like to see more compensation, I'm sorry, more compassionate responses to similar situations. By late March, the petition reportedly collected 35,796 signatures. The lawsuit asks for actual general and punitive damages, also seeks an order preventing McFarlane, Silva, and others from discriminating against the girls' free expression of viewpoint with respect to livestock and future livestock activities. It also asks that the Long's daughter have the ability to participate in future auctions at the fair, but with a clear understanding that her rights to disaffirm any contract or obligation to sell livestock she owns through such an auction. Woo! That's a long article. <laughs> Can you? What? This is like the epitome of shit. This is the epitome of 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 governmental abuse. This is a civil case. I, I'm not an attorney. I'm not an attorney. I'm I'm just I I I I do follow a lot of this stuff, and I do have a, a, quite a bit of knowledge of it. I think. I think we rely on that way too much because I could be wrong, but they put it up for auction. There was no monetary exchange at that point until the goat was sold. And even then, until they accept the money, you don't have a purchase. They never accepted the money, from what I can tell. And if they did, they're saying, listen, I'll just, I'll, we'll still pay you. We don't care. And, and you know, you ha in order to have, it's a contract. In order to have a contract, you have to have a meeting of the minds. And the owner of the goat, which is the child, who can't enter into a legal agreement... There's there's a whole lot of things going on here, but the fact that it, this was at its heart a civil matter. This is not a criminal matter. This is civil. This would be like you giving me money for a car, and I said, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna transfer the title. I'm gonna keep the car." You don't get to send the cops. You get to sue me for the money back. You get to sue me for the vehicle. You know, there's there's this is not. This is not a criminal matter. And they used the powers of the court. So the judge, the sheriff, the, the, the county officials, they all conspired. I mean, you literally have the makings of a case here. And I really hope like an organization like the Institute for Justice or somebody gets involved with this because this is complete government overreach in, in, the, in the highest form. And I know we're talking about a goat, I, but... Yeah, but it's that that that's arbitrary, man. This is this is this is just the dumbest fucking display of everything you just highlighted. Like, and they're picking on a fucking kid. I don't even understand how this escalated that far because I'm 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 in the same school of thought as you. Like, until the goat goes up on the podium, you can back out of the fucking auction. Like. Like until the bidding starts, like you're good to pull back. Even if like, the family signed a contract saying they'd accept the highest bid, whatever, and and it's still a civil matter. It's still a civil matter. It is not criminal. And I I really I, I hope this is one we can come back to and keep following, because I hope to God they get punitive damages against a lot of people on this one. Yeah, me too, man. I hope that kid gets justice for her kid. Oh, that I'm not. I'm not gonna hit. I'm not gonna hit the button. But that was bad. <laughs> that was that was that was that was like a four. It was like a four. <laughs> I mean, you know, 
So use hate overreaching police departments, but everybody loves it when Buck tries. You know, <laughs> so I, I'm I'm gonna keep looking for this one. I'm gonna hope, and um, I'm gonna have I'm gonna talk to one of our uh, our, our future guests about this one. Um, wasn't really the the thought process for the show when we have them on, but um, I think that's one of the ones we're gonna cover. Anyway, let's go to Fox 13. We're going back to Tampa Bay. Oh when- yeah. Clearwater man's good deed to homeless couple nearly lands him in prison for three felonies. Good deeds unpunished and such, you know. A Clearwater man, this is in Florida, (laughs) thought he was doing a good deed when he took in a homeless couple, but six weeks later, he was in county jail charged with three felonies and looking at years in prison. Philip Felix said a false police report turned his life upside down and took one tenacious defense attorney to get to the bottom of it. It all backfired on me. I thought I was doing a really good thing here. Well, there's your first problem. Back in October, Felix opened his heart and his home to Harry Pinckney and Megan Soto, a homeless couple. Felix had been spotted them outside the Walgreens in Clearwater and decided to help them out. Soto was eight months pregnant. The couple stayed in a spare room at Felix's condo. They were very quiet and to themselves at first, but that didn't last long. Felix said the two fought so much that even his dog Bailey was on edge. When she was staying in my room, staying in my closet, that means she's scared of something. The turmoil went on for six weeks, and by then, Felix had had enough. He told the couple they had to go, but a day later, Soto and Pinckney returned with a police officer and a wild story. Soto claimed Felix attacked her with a knife. Without much of an investigation into the allegations, the officer believed her and arrested Felix. He is now faced, he is now in jail facing felony charges, including aggravated assault of a pregnant female and two counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Felix was also to lose his job at a nearby hospital for missing several days of work. However, that wasn't the worst part. His name and reputation took a huge hit. The story is being told that I'm a hospital worker who attacks a pregnant woman. How do I come back from that? Felix questioned. When Felix was, Felix was locked up for four days, he said the couple ransacked his home and headed straight to a pawn shop. Felix knew he was innocent and hired top defense attorney Bjorn uh, Brunvard to prove it. Brunvard, in his dogged determination to get to the truth, met with Soto, and it didn't take long for her to come clean. She says, it's all a lie. I made it up. I made it up because my boyfriend told me he was going to kill me and kill my unborn baby if I didn't say it. Uh, The attorney immediately contacted the prosecutor in the case who questioned Soto under oath. She again admitted she had made up the allegations. During a recent hearing, Pinellas Pasco Circuit Judge Pat God bless it with the names today. Sir Acosa uh, was told about it. Uh, the judge apologized to Felix for the injustice he had endured and uh, turned his ire on Soto. The man was deprived of his liberty and put in jail for three violent felonies that he will be forever on his records. So that's why I'm trying to wrap my mind around why this young lady is not wearing charm bracelets. <laughs> The prosecutor reminded the judge that Soto feared for her life after being threatened by her boyfriend if she did not go through with it. Uh, the attorney and the judge, he believes Pinckney should face legal consequences. Uh, who seemed to be the orchestrator of it all were hoping that the state would pursue charges against him. So far, he is not facing charges. As for Felix, he is rebuilding his life, and he still believes in helping others. However, he's just a little bit wiser. Even though he's, there's a lot of good in the world, there's a lot of evil, he said. Wow, 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 wow. Now, I'm a helpful dude. I... I... I've been told that, you know, I'm helpful to a fault sometimes, but I don't think I'd ever be helpful that much. Like, 
Mm. Letting letting a homeless couple from from outside of Walgreens come and live in your house, like man, I would have picked a gas station, not a pharmacy. <laughs> yeah, like if you're gonna go poach a fucking cute a few homeless people off the street, man. You know, people people posted up in front of the pharmacy are looking for drugs. People who posted up in front of a gas station are looking for cigarettes or food. Hmm. I I don't know this for a fact. I'm actually making that up as I uh, as I speak right now, but it sounds good. <laughs> no, my, so the whole thing about taking the homeless people home that was a stupid idea. That was really a stupid idea. If you want to help somebody out, give them a ride to a shelter. You want to give them some money, give them some money. Um, yeah. You want to hook them up with some services? Fine. You want to take them food? That's great. Don't take them home. This never it's ends like, well. It never like ends well. Home. It's like bringing home a feral cat. It's like meh, meh, meh. Just leave that. Just leave a bowl of fucking fancy feast out on the on the stoop. Don't don't bring it home. Very true. Same thing with homeless people. Give 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 them give them a couple of bucks and maybe a pack of cigarettes. All right, let's let's just keep going here, Buck. Uh, we're gonna go to a UK uh, story from the Mirror. Teenager refused to return to school after being sent home for lingerie outfit. A teenage student was sent home from school after her lingerie outfit finished her studies at home after the incident left her in tears. Karis Wilson, now 19 from Canada, was sent home in February of 2021 after she was informed that her clothes made a male teacher feel awkward another female teacher commented on the attire reminding her reminding her of a lingerie outfit Karis, who attended the norcam secondary school in uh conlops camlops god british columbia canada never returned back to the school to complete her studies after the situation caused her stress but now she has started at university of alberta and wants to put the ordeal behind her it was reported that Karis was wearing a knee-length a black dress with lace trim over a white turtleneck with long sleeves while teachers at her school started complaining about the outfit. Yes, the only skin you can see on this girl is from her chin up and for her wrists down. Everything else is covered. Her dad was furious after learning of her removal from school and started a Facebook Live to tell the story. The live amassed more than 100,000 views in total. If you can't see the poll, click here. <laughs> uh, she wasn't wearing it any sexual matter. She wasn't wearing it for any attention. She normally wears track pants and a hoodie. She had a snowboarding accident a month or two ago and couldn't be active for a while. She had been starting to go to the gym and feel better about herself. Her dad said that she merely wore the dress to feel good about herself. Uh, one day, she decided to wear a dress and feel good about herself. This is how they reacted. Karis stayed at home and for more than a week, and those who viewed Christopher's live began sending her hate to the school. By the time she came closer to Karis to return to school, she became uh, increasingly nervous about what she would wear. It became more caring about what to wear to school than going in for education. She had lost more than a week of school and said, Dad, I don't think I want to go wear, I don't know what to wear to school. Christopher said her daughter discussed what sorts of clothing she would wear, speaking of her worries about what would be perceived. She elaborated a little bit and said, Dad, if I wear just my track pants and a hoodie, if I wear something comfortable, am I conforming? If I wear something I feel pretty in, am I trying to rub it in their face? 
She thought she refused to return to school and was able to finish her high school education at home. She was able to attend her graduation in person with her friends. Christopher said her daughter wouldn't change anything, even if she had a chance to go back. In a touching tribute uh, posted recently to mark her 19th birthday, Karis Wilson, you are beautiful and resilient. You are smart and you are compassionate. You are funny. And most of all, I love being around you. Happy 19th birthday, sweetheart. I'm looking at a picture of this outfit, Buck. (laughs) You can't see anything. This is... Like, if if she had a little, um, if the, if the, if it flowed out a little more at the bottom and she was wearing a, uh, I'm not sure what they're called, a little religious headwear, I'd swear to God she was Mormon. Or Mennonite, Mennonite, rather. Mm-hmm. I, I was mean, about <laughs> ready to say Mormons, you're talking about a bonnet. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm, th- I'm talking about Mennonites and, and, and yeah. she, you can't see, you can see from her wrist down and her chin up. She's wearing a turtleneck with a dress over top of it. You can't see a goddamn thing. And the whole, well, a male staff member felt awkward. Well, that says more about him than it does about her. Yeah, I was about ready to say, man, like, maybe you shouldn't suspend the kid. Maybe you should, uh, the teacher, you know what I mean? Like, Like, why are you looking at 17-year-old girls? (laughs) Like, how does, like, what, what, what? makes that an uncomfortable outfit and you know what this is just it's just stupid man it's just fucking stupid you know people people picking on kids and now you got that kid come like look what you did to that kid man look what they did to that kid she waking up in the morning she's like i don't know what to wear and you know at at you you first hear that and you're just like, don't be stupid, kid. Just put on clothes and go to school. But, you know, you start thinking about it and you're like, well, you know what? I can really see exactly kind of where that kid feels that way. You know, being a boy, like, I didn't deal with that shit. I didn't deal with that shit, you know, when when I was growing up. Nobody dress coded me. Like, that that shit didn't happen. But I I, I, dis- I distinctly remember teachers with rulers checking girls' skirts in high school. Yeah. Like, I would go to school with, like, some of the most ridiculous fucking t-shirts on. Like, you know, the jack shit family fucking tree from, like, knee-deep shit creek, Tennessee. Like, I go to school with, like, shit written all over my t-shirt. They're, they're or, like, with they're... two rednecks. I remember in high school fucking flipping off people like what the fuck? I remember in high school, everybody had the big Johnson t-shirts. Remember those? Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, and you know, like we got away with fucking like, like wardrobe murder. And, and this kid can't even wear a turtleneck with something over it. Like what the fucking fuck are we doing, man? And it's like, whoever this teacher was, you realize that, that this guy is probably in the demographic that we are in. Like, either that or he's a new teacher. Like, who... Like, what are you? Like, 19... Did you hop in a time machine? It's like, we... Uh, I don't even understand it, man. See... I don't even I, I been a, I would have been a complete douche. I would have wore a burka the next day. I would have wore right. a fucking burka and said, eat it. <laughs> But see, you know, again, though, man, that's where our guy minds go, because we never got exposed to this shit. 
Like I can see, I can see how, how women now, I don't even want to try to put myself in a woman's shoes, man. That's, that's really disgusting. I don't want to be that guy. I can just see how the struggle would be very difficult when the shoe is on the other foot. That's, that's it. I just, I, I don't envy women for this shit. Yep. All right, Buck. Our... Keep your dress codes. Keep your keep keep your dress codes and keep your tampons, women. We're moving along. Our next story comes from Corrections One, and this is a story about a hitman that did not come from Guido Finelli. <laughs> oh. Ohio man goes to prison after dialing wrong number for a hitman twice. <laughs> Nice, nice, a 50 year old 58 year old man who mistakenly left a voicemail seeking a hitman to kill his adult son with a suburban dumpster rental company <laughs> was sentenced Tuesday to 18 months in prison uh, Desmond Ramsey who used a cane and struggled to walk into the court of common pleas uh, told Judge David uh, it was in J Judge David Matias' courtroom. Broke down in sobs as the sheriff deputies laid him to, in the courtroom in handcuffs after the hearing. Uh, Matia imposed a maximum sentence after Ramsey pled guilty to aggravated assault, a fourth-degree felony tied to an October 13, 2022 message. Uh, Ramsey was initially charged with two counts of complicity, which carried a potential life sentence. Ramsey said he had been drinking heavily and got into a dispute with his son the night he made the calls and he did not believe the plan would be carried out. That's my baby boy. He said, <laughs> I would die before I let anything happen to my children, but I'd call a hitman and try to have him killed. Ramsey believed he was calling a friend who was a member of the motorcycle club, uh, of a, of a motorcycle club. Doesn't say which one. Instead, he dialed the number of a budget dumpster company in Westlake and left three voicemails. Uh, Mattia read a transcript of the message in court. In the first message, Ramsey uh, called his friend Jesse and referred to himself as Tommy, then named his son. I've got a five grand hit on him. I don't give a fuck where he's at or what he's doing or who he's with. Kill that bitch. After leaving a second voicemail that was blank, Ramsey left a third met asking for his friend to call him back ASAP. It's business. This ain't bullshit. The, the company's employee discovered the voicemails when they showed up to work the next morning. The caller ID listed Ramsey's name and phone number. Mattia read the court's pre-sentencing investigation, said the company's vice president first called the Cleveland police to report the voicemail. Mattia said Cleveland's police were less than helpful and suggested the man reach out to the FBI field office in Cleveland. That sounds right. Matias said the FBI also was less than helpful, so he called uh, the Westlake police. Westlake detectives used cell phone tower data to track Ramsey's phone and arrested him that day. Anderson rep said Ramsey admitted to detectives after the arrest that he made the call. After the detectives left the room, he said to himself, head to jail for a drunk mistake, Anderson said. <laughs> Anderson investigators uh, spoke to the man Ramsey meant to call, and he denied knowing of the plot. The man said he would never commit murder for hire. <laughs> Well, 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 there's a, I, I don't even know where to start with this one. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say the family reunions are going to be a little awkward going forward. This, yeah. this is going to be a great story to tell at Thanksgiving. You are absolutely right. Oh my, do you remember the time that I called the, yeah, yeah, oh boy. Yeah, drunk mistake, 
leaving three minute three voicemails. This is busy. <laughs> oh man, what a dumb shit. <laughs> I really um, thought it was gonna turn out to be somebody like actually trying to off their kid. Like, does that sound like this to you, or does this really sound like a drunk mistake? Uh no, I think he was actually serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. All I right, think I think good. he I think he was serious. Um he he knew exactly who to call. You know, he knew uh and it, it, yeah, this this was this he may have been drunk but he was trying to That's put That's what I'm out. saying. The, the I'll tell you what, I believe that he is going to jail for what he believes is a drunk mistake. The thing is is that most people might think that he believes his drunk mistake was wanting to kill his son. I just want to clarify, I believe that his drunk mistake was dialing the wrong number. Yes. And I believe that that, I believe that, that is what he is lamenting at the moment. Like, huh, I dialed the wrong number, not huh, I shouldn't want to kill my kid. Yeah. Hmm. So that is, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. I think his drunken mistake was just dialing the wrong number. And that is why we put our contacts into our phone and we hit the name. We don't. <laughs> yeah. I digress. Yeah. All right, folks, that being said, that's going to bring us to an end of another episode of the social liability podcast. Uh, I, I hope that this episode comes out. Okay. There's going to be a lot of technical issues. I'm going to have to work through. Um, if this is your first time listening, sorry, at least you got this far. <laughs> uh, that all being said, folks, I'm the Raz. He's the Buck wishing you all a happy and safe week, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Social Liability Podcast.